Today's episode of Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. everybody, it's Scott Burnside, The Athletic, and across the airways, as crisp as you have ever been in all the years I've known you, my friend, Pierre Lebrun. Let's hear it. Let's hear the new, clean sound of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. This is equipment. We have actual (laughs) equipment. It's only been about nine years since we started doing podcasts, and they finally gave us equipment. Well, uh, I always prefer I prefer it when we when we tape it in a bar, but let you know what we're you're in Toronto, I'm in Atlanta, we're getting ready for the uh, regular season. Maybe at some point this year we can go back to like a retro taping and we'll do it at uh, <laughs> Hair of the Dog in St. Louis during All-Star or something like that. But no, it is it, it you, you do sound like you're right next to me, my friend, which is both reassuring and alarming at the same time. We we should tape a podcast this year at some point we're on the road together during a shuffleboard game. <laughs> because really the, the the raw emotion of our relationship comes out of course because we're never partners we always play against That's each true. other and I usually beat you so so this is you know we, we should show people what that's like when we're on our downtime on an assignment shuffleboard is at the heart of it well, in fact, we should be uh, sending it. I'm, gonna, I'm making a note to self right now. Send a note to our the athletics uh, video crew. We have a, an amazing video unit now. Uh, can't think of a better video segment than you and I playing shuffleboard and recording a podcast. But anyway, enough of that. Let's get into our first podcast of the season. We are hours, a few hours from the start of the 2019 2020 regular season and I, I'm I don't know maybe it's just maybe it's new equipment but I'm I'm so excited for this season because I look around the NHL and I I have no like there's so many storylines and I have no real sense of okay I, I'm pretty sure this will happen I'm pretty sure this team or this player will perform in in this manner what's your vibe what what are you feeling as you, as you head into this and and maybe understanding that we're going to talk very, very briefly about CBA, and it's not going to be something that we're going to talk about a lot of this season, at least hopefully. Well, first of all, we should start with our cup picks, and I'm taking Lausanne out of Switzerland to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. I think they I think they demonstrated the other day in their win over the Flyers that uh, we that they should have a wild card entry into the National Hockey. Wouldn't that be amazing if, like, European football, you had that kind of crossover? I know it's been talked about in the past, but... I think it'd be unbelievable. But then again, when you're paying 500 to $600 million for an NHL franchise, I don't think you want to have a playoff game with a team that didn't. But I, I just love those exhibition games. I know you don't, but I wanted to start with that. Uh, what was your question again? That's it. I know it was a long one, and I'm getting down to a short question now. What's your vibe? What's, what's, what's you, what are your, what are you, in your heart of hearts, how are you feeling going into this season? 
You know, I think that when the players announced they weren't opting out of the, of the CBA at the end of the year, I think that set such a positive tone for, you know, having three years of labor peace. Now, there's still a lot of work to be done on that front. But just the fact that you don't have that sort of urgency and dark cloud hanging over the next few months, you know, um, I think changes the dynamic for sure. Not to say that we're not going to hear about labor once in a while because they are still negotiating, uh, perhaps without as much spotlight on it. But, you know, if all goes well, as I've reported before, we could have a CBA extension announced, you know, by the end of the season. So that, that would be the ultimate but hopefully that happens without, you know, people like me doing the play-by-play of it. Well, and you know, I mean, this is a league that, whose history is about, um, you know, scorched earth, right? I mean, I mean, you've been, you and I both been doing this a long time, but you've spent a lot more time on the labor trail than I have over the years. But you know, this is a this is a league that, at these moments over the last thirty years, give or take, I mean, really since Gary Bettman came, you know, into power, even before that, you know, the, the, there was such acrimony between the players' association and the league, and 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 battles that. Um, over the structure of the CBA, all those kinds of things, ultimately leading to the salary cap after the 0405 lockout. We seem to be beyond that now, right? I mean, the league's in a pretty good place. Players are getting paid. We got, you know, we're going to have 32 teams in the NHL in a year and a half or when Seattle comes in at the start of the 21-22 season, 32 teams. We're going to have legalized gambling. We've got you know more we've got probably now in terms of ownership across the 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 board as strong an ownership group in the nhl as there's ever been um yeah it's 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 nice to be able to focus on you know things like the st louis blues or you know what seattle's doing in terms of building their infrastructure which is a fascinating we just heard the announcement before the start of the season cammy granado among those hired by the seattle franchise to do scouting for them um it, it, it's nice to be able to focus on the actual game as opposed to, geez, how many games are we going to lose? Are we are we going to toss another season down the the tube? Or I, I just think it must be refreshing for, um, it must be refreshing for for everyone, for the players, for owners, and and especially for the fans. Yeah, and I think that's part of why the players made the decision that they made is that you know Seattle around the corner is important for them. It's important for the business. Um, new US TV deal coming into the forefront over the next couple of years. All those things I think both sides want to get to with continuity and without interruption. So because of that, uh, hockey it is. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm looking at people's cup picks all over the industry. It it is fascinating that even though you kind of sense who the eight or nine teams are that that should be favorite, there is a lot of different varying opinions, uh, which I think totally reflects this league. A league in which a 62-win team got swept last spring. Um, this is what we have. And I'll get right to it. I'm picking the San Jose Sharks. And, and I'll tell you why. I will tell you why, my friend. Okay? Are you ready for this? I'm with you. I, I, mean, I actually lean closer to the microphone so I could hear exactly what you're going to say. Two years ago, Alex Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals, after a decade of playoff heartbreak, broke through and won the Stanley Cup. Last June, after a decade of knocking at the door and playoff heartbreak, the St. Louis Blues, in a wonderful story, win the Cup in Game 7 at Boston. Just an amazing night. San Jose, let's let's make it a hat-trick of franchises that have done everything well, that have knocked at the door, and what team has knocked more at the door than the San Jose Sharks over the past, geez, never mind decade, 15 years, 
really going back to 04, it's their time. The Sharks will win the cup in June. I was. No one cares about our hockey pool, but I was a little disappointed that you did not jump right on Joe Thornton when he came up. Right? I mean, the, you know, like I just. Well, I know you. Yeah. You know, I. You know, I, I. 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 I purchased Claude Giroux, so you know. <laughs> I mean, I. So I can't get all my guys on the, on my team. By the way, we, we should. We, we should tell our listeners you spent forty five dollars of your two hundred eighty six salary cap on Connor McDavid. I mean, obviously a wise purchase, but that's a lot of money, for a Ford. In our well, world-famous Media Hacks Fantasy League. Yeah, well, I, I'm interested in your in your theory on San Jose. And having covered the, the West Final last year and then the Stanley Cup Final with you, um, you do have to wonder what if, and I'm sure the Sharks all summer, you know, from Doug Wilson, the GM, on through Pete DeBoer and, and the rest of that crew, you know, they really, it was, a, it was a battle of attrition against the Blues. And by the end of it, I mean, I'm just off the top of my head, Eric Carlson, Thomas Hurdle, uh, Joe Pavelski, uh, unable to to finish that series against St. Louis. And listen, this isn't to, to take nothing away from the Blues. And, and I want to circle back to them because I, I want to talk about whether that is a team that has the goods, if not to repeat, at least to make a, a serious challenge at repeating after their seminal win last June. But you have to wonder about San Jose, right? I mean, you have to wonder, had they been able to stay healthy could they have got the better of the Blues? And then what would have happened? Of course, a great homecoming for Joe Thornton and Boston Bruins and all those kinds of things. It must have been a long summer for them. So I, I understand where you're coming from from that. But what do you think of St. Louis? And I, and I think, and to your point about this notion of all over the, you know, Colorado is a sexy pick, you know, is the window closed for Nashville? I really don't think people are giving St. Louis much uh, love in terms of, hey, why not the Blues back-to-back? And especially late in training camp, GM Doug Armstrong making really the only move he made in terms of changing that roster from last June, uh, bringing in uh, Justin Falk and sending Joel Edmondson to Carolina, a, a deal that I, I like for both teams, frankly. But Justin Falk, you know, that's a pretty impressive blue line group there, especially on the right-hand side. What do you make of the Blues, and, and where do they fit into how you imagine the Western Conference unfolding? Yeah, and it's crazy that basically no one has picked the Blues to repeat. And that, and I don't think that's a knock against the organization at all. I think it's a reflection of people just understanding how hard it is in the cap era to do that. Only Pittsburgh has done it. And uh, it's just so taxing mentally and physically. I talked about it with Doug Armstrong, the GM of the Blues, earlier in, in September for a piece I wrote. And, and they get it. Um, but, you know, it tells you where Doug Armstrong's mindset is at. You want to talk about all in? He goes out and trades for Justin Falk, as you mentioned, um, and wants to give this group every chance they have. And, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things that you're going to see, because, you know, you kind of sit there and wonder with Alex Petrangelo, Justin Falk, and Colton Pareko, how are they going to find enough ice time for three, uh, you know, top right-handed defensemen, all three averaging more than 20 minutes a game last year? It's difficult to do, right? Uh, we know that righties rarely play the left side. So are they going to play in three different pairings? Right now, as we tape this, Jeremy Rutherford, you know, writing a story this week for us in St. Louis, how Petrangelo is getting a look on the left side of Justin Falk. It's it's not ideal. Uh, Petrangelo's done it before. He's played on the left side of Pareko, uh, uh, played on the left side of Shattenkirk a few times over the years, and of course, most notably played on the left side of Brent Burns in the World Cup of Hockey in 2016. That, to me, is one of the most intriguing storylines of the NHL season. Within the 
you know, trying to defend the cup title in St. Louis is what how you deploy those minutes if you're Craig Berube between Petrangelo, Falk, and uh, and Pareko. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, that's interesting. But isn't the story in St. Louis Jordan Bennington? And I'll, let me ask you this question then. You you like the Sharks. Uh, Martin Jones, man, you talk about up and down seasons. Uh, he was the storyline for the Sharks going into the playoffs. I remember talking to, to scouts who loved that Sharks team, and they were like, yeah, but the goaltending's, you know, that's the that's the Achilles heel for that team. Started out against Las Vegas in the first round like it might end their playoff run very, very early, and yet he was excellent late in that series against Vegas as, as the San Jose came back to win in dramatic fashion in Game 7. Very, very good, I thought, against Colorado in a series that also went uh, went the distance. And, you know, at the end of the day, it wasn't really the goaltending that uh, that saw the, the Sharks lose in the Western Conference Final, but it's still a big question mark for them. And I would argue that, that the whole issue of Jordan Bennington, who basically fell from the sky to save the <laughs> St. Louis Blues season and help them win a Stanley Cup, you know, we still don't know anything about him. I, you know, I remember you were sitting at the other end of the table, one of our, our one of my favorite dinners of, of many during the Stanley Cup final, and Ray Ferraro and I sitting together in Boston trying to figure out what is Jordan Bennington's value, right? He was an RFA. How do you pay him? What's his term? What's his dollar? And I thought that both Jordan Bennington and, and Doug Armstrong came to the perfect middle ground for that. But there's still a lot of questions, right? I mean, this is his first season, and I'm using my air quotes here, as the man in St. Louis. Um, I, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? And can he, he already, he knows people are skeptical of him. Do you think that helps? Or is there going to be some basic settling for him? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who pretends to know that answer, and frankly, I, I think if the you know if we had Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube on with us right now, they would never admit this. But I don't know that anyone knows the answer to that for sure. I, I think they feel that he will be fine. That that how, how, you know how can you not believe in a guy that was that dynamic, especially in Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final? But the reality is, he's had a half season of NHL hockey, so. I, I think that's a tough one to answer. But I, what I love for the Blues is their setup. You know, him and Jake Allen have a great relationship by all accounts. I talked to Jake Allen about it during the Cup Final. I think Jake Allen's going to have a bounce back performance here this year. I, I think he's going to have a bit of a return to prominence. Not not taking the job away at all from Jordan Bennington, but the idea of the one A one B in this in this era of load management. I think Jake Allen's going to win some big games for the Blues this year, and having him there in that role. And remember, people kind of wondered if the Blues might trade him for cap reasons, right? I mean, I mean, why do you need Jake Allen making that money alongside Jordan Bennington when you just paid him? But I think that was a wise move by Doug Armstrong because it gives you a nice fallback. If Jordan Bennington does have a bit of a, you know, um, I, I don't know, I can't really call it a sophomore slump because he's been a pro for many years, but certainly NHL-wise, entering his first full NHL season as a starter, um, I think you do have to monitor how he's going to perform. Yeah. So just before we leave, I, I want to circle back to a team you made reference to by deed, if not by name. Uh, but I'm going to give you my Stanley Cup pick. And I I went back and forth and I, I, I wanted to settle in on Tampa. And then I, I what I did, I went back and I, I went with the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. And I talked to some scouts and, um, you know, that West is... There are a lot of teams to really like. There, there isn't the separation. I don't think that there is a little bit in the East in terms of where Tampa is still the, the, the team to beat. And we're going to come to Tampa in a second. But I, I just like, you know, so well coached Gerard Gallant. They're built 
so well, especially up front. You know, you're going to have Mark Stone for the entire year there. You know, Paul Stassi, you know, Max Pacioretty. It took him a while to get comfortable after the deal a year ago from Montreal. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury, as long as he stays healthy, there's not a lot of goaltending depth there, frankly. But if Marc-Andre Fleury stays healthy and Malcolm Subban can can grow into that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, that 1A, 1B that's so vital for goaltending, I just like the way the Golden Knights are. And they've got to come in with a huge chip on their shoulder. Losing the way they did in Game 7 in uh, overtime against uh, San Jose after the uh, the controversial call on Cody Eakin, blowing the huge lead, all that stuff that happened in Game 7. This is a team in only their third year that suddenly has, I think, a lot to prove. So I, I'm I'm curious to see how they rebound after a gut punch in game seven uh, i thought that they might go back to a final frankly last spring uh but i think they've got the goods to to, to run the table this year imagine if vegas and san jose played all 82 games against each other would there be any <laughs> would, there, would there be anyone left at the end of the year i mean that how, is how uh, great it's a great uh, i mean how great that that has turned into you know that's that's approaching Boston, Montreal levels of hatred. Toronto, Boston. It's it. You're yeah. right. It's 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 a great dynamic. So and it, right, so it, and it's just it's just so raw and honest too in terms of the rivalry. It's not. You know, I I felt the times that we made Washington Pittsburgh. We kind of made it before it made itself. If that makes any sense. Yep. This one is this one is pure hatred and uh, two great teams. And you're right. I mean, listen. If you're going to ask me who who do I think is going to win if it's not San Jose, I'd be all over Vegas. And I think those two teams are going to meet in the second round. They're going to vie for the Pacific title and and meet in the second round. Uh, you know, barring injuries, I really do think that out. You know, in that division, you know, Mark Andre Fleury. I, I don't want to gloss that over because again, uh, I'm you know I've been huge on this whole load, load management goalie mm-hmm. thing and. Vegas not really in tow last year with what other teams were doing that way, maybe out of necessity, kind of like Montreal with Carey Price. Um, when you don't trust your backup, you got to go with the big horse. My understanding is one thing that Vegas has talked about with Marc-Andre Fleury, if not playing fewer games, at the very least, um, sort of lightening his practice schedule this year. You know, the idea that you know, your average starting goalie in a normal off-day practice gets like 300 pucks thrown at him. That perhaps there is a way for Marc-Andre Fleury to still go through his routine between game days, but not always do the full practice. So um, I guess I would say I'll believe it when I see it because you've been around Marc-Andre Fleury. The guy's a practice nut, and uh, he just loves being out there and honing his craft. But that's what I've been told is sort of the plan for Marc-Andre Fleury. So... You know, let's keep an eye on that. And by the way, that's what I'm told the Habs are hoping to do with Carey Price. You know, A, they don't want him to play, you know, in, into the 60s like he did last year. Second in the league, I think, in, in games played by goalies. Again, I'll believe that when I see it because I think the Habs are going to get the march and need, and need Carey Price to play every night to get in. But they hope on the off days to, to again, to sort of minimize his practice time. So, again, that's an interesting storyline to follow. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And then, frankly, I was a bit surprised that Vegas didn't shore up the goaltending at the trade deadline last year. And then, you know, not, I'm not connecting A to B, but Fleury did get hurt down the stretch. Um, right, I mean, really came back just at the at the start of the playoffs and, and really was not what he was before that. So I, I, I'll, I'm i with you. I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, 
not just with Vegas, but with those teams that traditionally rely on, you know, one dominant workhorse, the Rangers, we've seen it for years with Henrik Lundqvist, and I'm sure that will change with Georgiev really pushing him and with the Rangers, hopefully uh, as for Ranger fans on a, on a rebound season there. So interesting stuff. Uh, I want to talk about Tampa though. And that's, it's such, they're such a fascinating team. I want you to take us back. You were at the player tour in uh, Chicago. Did you not do a poll? of Stanley Cup finalists who went around the table at dinner who who people thought what do you where is Tampa figure into this <laughs> they're still they were still massive massive favorites in terms of the athletics power rankings we pulled all our hockey writers to do our preseason power rankings Tampa uh, dominating in terms of first place votes as you would expect and they're a team you know Braden Point signs late in the in the going and, and while he must have started the regular season he's going to be back in it uh, I thought the move to add Curtis McElhaney as a backup to Andre Vasilevsky was interesting by GM Julian Brisebois sort of minor tinkering but this is still a team on paper that is as well put together as any team and I would argue this as any team that's ever been built in the salary cap era but as you pointed out early on, coming off a just a shocking four-game sweep at the hand of the 8C Columbus Blue Jackets. And it's funny. Don't you remember when we left the United Center in Chicago after the 2015 Stanley Cup Final? Or a young Tampa team, uh, you know, gave it its best but lost to the veteran Hawks. And I just remember talking to you and saying, when we're going to see a lot of Tampa deep in these playoffs. And, of course, we have. But not back in the final, right? And, and I think... Yep. If you would have told me then that half a decade later almost that the Lightning had not been back to the cup final, I would have been pretty surprised. I mean, I know about parity and breaks and injuries and, and the sort of the randomness at times of the NHL playoffs, but I, I would have bet on a return visit by the Lightning to the cup final by now. And of course, last year, how could you not think that would be the case? And I was in the building when Columbus went up 2 nothing in Tampa. And, and as much as we talk about parity and the randomness, that was just shocking. I mean, Columbus is, was, listen, they were as hot as any team in the league down the stretch last year. They loaded up. So it's not like some also ran going up to nothing. But they're still doing it against a team that never lost last year. So I'm still getting over that. And now how do they recover? Because there are psychological scars from from having that done to you. You know, I mean, how you're not, if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, you're not starting this year as the 62-win no one can beat us uh, in terms of your psyche. Come on. I, I mean, the first round of the playoffs is has to be deep-rooted at some level. And and now, you know, the key for them is the chip on their shoulder to, um, you know, to prove to the world that, you know, that, that was just a one-off and that uh, they're ready to go deep. And I, I love the way Julian Breesbo reacted, you know, to your point. I mean some minor moves, but really kept the team together, right? Uh, resisted the urge to overreact, believes in this roster. And if you know Julian Breesbois, and I know you do, Scotty, very thoughtful, methodical guy in terms of his analysis and how he goes through things. So I'm not surprised that he didn't let emotion win the day. Um, but, you know, some some nice little moves, you know, adds in a, a Patrick Maroon. And so you know that one of the things I wanted them to do before the trade deadline last year on the team that needed nothing I would have loved for them to go out and get a Wayne Simmons. I just yeah. felt that in terms of physicality, that just adding one of those power forwards might make a bit of a, a difference. And frankly, they got pushed around by Columbus, number one. 
So I love the Patrick Maroon ad. Patrick Maroon's not going to make or break the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's not kid ourselves. But it's an ingredient, right? Um, Kevin Shattenkirk on the cheap. Um, you know, what's not to like about that gamble? You're only paying $1.75 million for a 30-year-old defenseman that needs a clean, uh, needs a fresh start. We know he was a terrific player in St. Louis. And, and let's be honest, he was sheltered in St. Louis by Petrangelo and Pareko, and the Blues used him brilliantly, right? A lot of offensive zone starts, use his offensive ability, but don't rely on him too much defensively. That's what Tampa's going to do. And I think you'll see a little renaissance from Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, but again, overall, um, let's see how Nikita Kucherov, the Hart Trophy winner that completely came unglued in the first round against Columbus, uh, a, a terrible decision that led to his one-game suspension when his team needed him most. He's the guy I probably look at the most in terms of, we know how, you know you're a superstar, but now it's time to lead. And I think there's a lot of pressure on him this year. It's I, I just think it's so fascinating. And I talked to a scout who said, listen, it's not just one element of that team. Every single person in that organization is under the gun. And the problem for them, and I think the challenge for John Cooper as the head coach, and I guess by extension, Julian Brisebois, you know, as the season moves along as the GM, but how do you, how do you, how do you keep things in perspective when nothing matters starting this week as the NHL season begins, nothing will matter for Tampa until the 12th or 13th, whenever the playoffs start in April, that that is going to take a lot of intestinal fortitude for everyone in that organization to really stay focused, keep their eyes on the immediate goals, immediately getting better. I talked to, it was funny, Bruce Boudreau and I had this chat for, you know, what it was like to coach in the playoffs as we were heading into it. And he, he brought up Tampa and he said, as great as they are, Unless they find another gear, unless they can elevate their game, and I think he uses it, you know, the ten percent, then they're going to be in trouble. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't down on Tampa, but he was stating the you know, the fact of life in the playoffs, and they never got there, right? They never, they never elevated, and Columbus did. And I think that's going to be fascinating moving forward. So I want to ask you though, do you see parallels? Do you see like is Tampa like Washington? Because you know, we had these same discussions about Washington, best on paper, President's Trophy winners, and year after year, they have found a way not to get the job done. Often it was because of Pittsburgh, but there were other missteps along the way for the Capitals until they finally got it right in 2018 at a time when no one really expected them. You know, I think people felt, ah, the window's closed. It's the Caps, right? They're not going to, they'll find a way to lose. Where is Tampa in that kind of dynamic then? Yeah, I don't think they've reached the frustration level of the Caps. I, you know, I still think because the Lightning have so many young players that, you know, I, I think if they lost in the first round this year, now you start to get Washington-like in terms of what is wrong with this talented team. But I think they're not quite there yet. However, I love the I love the comparison of that feeling of what does a win in October mean for this team when they're so hungry just to play a playoff game again, right? That is exactly how it felt for Alex Ovechkin and the Caps especially after the you know the back-to-back years they lost to Pittsburgh in the playoffs like I, I feel like you know we, we had that discussion you and I like like what what would it matter to have a good start in October when you're that team when all you want you know all you want to do is be in April but you can't force that you can't you know you know you don't have a time machine so you have to go through the process during the regular season and making sure that you're preparing yourself so that your team is at its utmost and ready for April hockey. And that's, it's an interesting thing to do. Like, 
you know, someone said to me after the, the Lightning loss, just make sure you don't win 62 wins again in the regular season. You, you can't, I mean, you can't go out there and try to lose games. You know, it's ridiculous. But there is something to the notion. What if the Leafs go out and win the Atlantic this year like a lot of people think they might? I don't know that that's a bad thing for the Tampa Bay Lightning to sort of just take a bit of the glare off, go into the playoffs as the second or third seed, depending on what Boston does, and then do your thing. You know, I mean, look at the year the Caps won the Cup. They won the Cup finally after everyone had said they're never going to win. There is something to be said for not being asked every single day during the regular season, are you finally going to win it this year? So, again, I, at the end of the day, Tampa's going to win how many games they win. But it might actually be a blessing in the skies if they let a team like the Leafs, who are, have so much to prove themselves, go out and win that division. It, it's so funny, you know, people forget... You know, when you when you think of Washington winning the cup, and you and I were in uh, T-Mobile Center in Vegas when they when they finally broke through with their first ever Stanley Cup, and you forget that regular season that Barry Trotz didn't have a contract uh, for about thirty or thirty five games. They were only average. They struggled defensively, and it was sort of the middle of the season where they had, you know, a uh, you know a come to the powers chat internally about how they were going to play I remember Brooks Orpik was a big part of that and finally got to play the way that they needed to play um in marching to their first ever Stanley Cup and people forget that but it, it, I think that's the interesting part right I mean a little adversity wouldn't hurt Tampa and I think that was again part of the dynamic last year they had so little of it um that by the end of the regular season they I you know they I don't know where they I think they struggled to find the urgency. So I'll ask you then, as as we get to the end of our discussion on Tampa, what happens to them this year? Do you see them winning the division? Do you see them pushing through to a conference final or a Stanley Cup final for the first time since uh, 15, as you noted? Or what happens to them? I, I, they will have a deep run. I mean, starting to, you know, are they going to win the Cup or not? I'm, <laughs> it's so silly. Well, you already said no. They're out. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I, no. I mean, I, I, I see them playing San Jose in the Cup final. My, my point is, it's so hard to predict right now. But um, you know, it's funny. The team that won the Cup last year, of course, uh, the St. Louis Blues were dead last in the league halfway through the year. I'm not. I'm not proclaiming that you that anyone should try and chart that course <laughs> in terms of in terms of the way to go about things. Of course not. But you know what? You know what that did, and that's the most extreme example. But when the Blues enter the playoffs after having to play survival hockey since January, one thing that that does is that you become such a galvanized group that's had your feet to the fire for months and months that if something goes wrong in the first round of the playoffs in Game One or Game Two or whatever. And in fact, they went up to nothing in Winnipeg. My point is, you are ready for adversity because you've been dealing with it for months. And and that's and that's just that's the psychological part of all this is that Tampa actually I thought did a good job of you know, continuing to win games in March when they had nothing to play for. But looking back, um, you know, you look at a lot of the comments that came out, a lot of Joe Smith's stories for us at the Athletic. That was a team that had stopped playing well defensively for quite a while before the playoffs started because they just could go out and outscore everyone and win every night, right? Well, that's not playoff hockey. That does not get you ready for a playoff run. And so, again, I, I, you can't tell the Tampa Bay Lightning to purposely go out in the middle of the year and have a 10-game losing streak. But how do you make sure this time around that you're... 
playing the kind of hockey that wins your playoff games, even if, again, you're up 10 points in the standings. It's hard. And this is what Washington fought for many years as well, come the month of March. Okay, everybody, that's it for this edition of Two Man Advantage with Pierre Lebrun. If you wanted to hear an extended version of this podcast, uh, during which I pester Pierre with some word association on players like Patrick Laine and Taylor Hall, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic so you get the full Two Man Advantage impact.